Hello, welcome along to the Par 5 podcast. Now this is episode 2, so um, if you didn't manage to catch episode 1, you can go back and find it on my website or on my Instagram, so you could head to andysgolfblog.co.uk or under um, at andysgolfblog on Instagram, and hopefully you can catch episode 1 there. It mainly previewed and reviewed past uh, European Tour and PGA Tour events, so you might be better just starting from scratch today on this episode two podcast um, because all of the information is going to be up to date and new. Um, but if you've not checked out my Instagram page before, then please do head on. Much appreciated if you can give it a follow and uh, yeah, comment on anything you see in there and you want to, to chat about. It's basically just all golf related content. So there's bound to be something there for, um, for everybody, but it'd be great to have you stopping by. The um, focus for this week's podcast um, is around the PGA Tour, European Tour and the LPGA Tour for past events. So we'll look at uh, what took place last week. And of course, this week and starting tomorrow is the um, US Open. So really, really excited about that one. Done quite a lot of research into it. So I'm going to give you a kind of full preview. We'll talk about the the tournament in general. We'll talk about the event at Winged Foot, the course, how it's going to be set up, what the players can expect. And I'll also talk about the the fields, so which players are uh, taking part. And I'll be giving you my three um, top tips for the competition. So who I think has got a good chance this week at uh, Winged Foot. Now, first of all, let me kick off with a little recap of the PGA Tour. Um, last week we had the Safeway Open, which was at the Silverado Resort, and it was won by Stuart Sink, who won by two strokes. So this is his first, or was his first PGA Tour in, um, win in over 11 years, so long, long time. Although interestingly, his last win was at the Open at Turnberry in 2009. So yeah, long time, um, but a pretty good win um, to, to win your last event at the Open, to be honest. But 11 years is a long time between wins. Um, what was quite good this week is he had his son Regan um, caddying for him. So it was only the fourth time that his son had caddied and uh, they managed to pick up the win. So um, yeah, really good result for him. It's quite interesting to see guys who've been on the tour for a long time still managing to win, still managing to compete. Um, Michael Thompson a few competitions ago hadn't won in something like seven years and he managed to get a win. So I guess it, it gives a little bit of encouragement to um, to the players out there, certainly the older guys who maybe haven't won in a long time, that there's a, there's still an opportunity for them to, to pick up a win. One of the other players I really like, uh, one of the young guys, Harry Higgs. We'll see young, I think he's near 30 now actually. Um, but he managed to come second and he made an albatross or a a double eagle if you're if you're American. So on the par five ninth hole during his second round. So that was his 18th hole. Um, but a really nice drive, approach shot onto the green and uh, straight into the hole. So it's not often you see an albatross, certainly not on the, the PGA Tour. Um, I can't even remember the last time I saw one, to be honest. Um, but yeah, good to see Harry Higgs. Good bit of form there. And I really like him. I think he's, he's kind of quirky. He's his own guy. And you need more players like that, I think, on... Um, certainly on the PGA Tour so um, I can't really tell you much more about the event because I forgot to be honest I didn't actually really catch any of it which is unusual because I usually watch the golf every night that it's on um, but this week just just far too busy um, but a good a good opener to the season obviously with uh, with the win Sync picks up some uh, much needed FedEx points but it's the first event of the season so I don't think really 
they they matter too much at that time. But anyway, with that win comes quite a lot for him. It obviously gives him um, the rights to play on several different events for um, for a good few years to come. So I think for the guys that at that kind of age group, in fact, everybody on the the PGA Tour, I think keeping your tour cards the main thing. It's not it's not so much about the money. Um, now other events so the European Tour had the Portugal Masters at the Dom Pedro Victoria course it was won by George Coetzee and two shots so he won it by two shots at three rounds of 66 which was five under so it's pretty good going um, I remember catching him um, up at the where was it now the I think it was a Scottish Open watched a little bit of him at the Renaissance course and there was a period a few years ago when he was absolutely on fire on the European Tour. Um, he was either winning or, or finishing really kind of strongly every single week. And he went quiet for quite a while and it's nice to see him um, picking up uh, another win. So um, €156,000 for that win, which again, like I spoke about last week, it's, it's mental that the winner on a PGA Tour event's taken home over a million dollars and these guys are winning on the European Tour and you're looking at €156,000, which, you know, I'd be more than happy with. Um, but, yeah, a, a win's a win, I guess. Um, Laurie Cantor came second, so really solid finish for uh, for the Englishman there. And Tommy Fleetwood came third. Now, I'm going to come back to Tommy Fleetwood uh, in my preview of the, the US Open, um, but it's nice to see him with uh, a little bit of form after a few kind of iffy weeks. Um, I expected him to do really well, to be honest, on the European Tour with a not-so-strong field um, last week. And, yeah, third-place finish was was pretty good going at 13-under. Um, and then John Catlin, who won the, the week before over in Spain, managed a tied eighth, so finished on 9-under. And that's, you know, that's a good result for him. He's obviously shown that he, he can play week in, week out on that tour and uh, probably somebody to, to watch. The only other bit of news from the European Tour was that uh, during that event, Quite unusually, um, Marcus Armitage, his caddy, um, was injured and on the Saturday he basically had to finish around pulling along a trolley. Um, it's really unusual to see a pro, first of all, pulling a trolley, but secondly, one of those kind of crappy trolleys from the, the pro shop that have got two wheels, you can't sort of balance them and, uh, and yeah, you can't push them, you've got to pull them. So, um, But hey... He seemed to do all right. At least he made the cut, and his his caddy was back on, uh, back on the course on Sunday. Um, but yeah, something you don't see very often. And the the final event to um, to recap, or I would like to recap, is the LPGA Tours uh, A and A Inspiration. So it was the second major of the season over at Mission Hills in California. Um, it was won by the South Korean Miram Lee, and that was thanks to a birdie. So a four on the par five um, on a playoff hole. And it was a very first and only playoff hole um, against um, Nelly Corda and Brooke Henderson. So they both managed a par and uh, Lee managed to win thanks to Birdie. It was her first LPG Tour title and also her first major title. So it's a pretty good good one for her to win um, and to, to start her, her kind of, I guess, kickstart her career off with that. Interestingly, she chipped in three times um, on that course. And the last one was actually on the very last hole of regulation. She made an eagle three on the final hole. A little bit of kind of, uh, I guess, bad taste from from several people, probably including myself, actually, about the setup of the the 18th hole. So you may have seen it. There was a large advertising board around the back of the 18th green. Now, I completely get that everybody was playing the same course. 
But on a hole like that, where it's a par five, it's very much a risk and reward. And it basically allowed the players to go for the green in two because they knew that if they obviously kept it low enough, it would bash into the board and then they'd have a chance to get free relief. And that's exactly what uh, what Lee did in regulation and she chipped in from the edge there. Whereas normally, in these types of events, think like the, you know, the 17th at Sawgrass, the players have to be accurate and if they do decide to go for it, certainly on a par five like that hole there, um, in two, then obviously if they go through the back, they'd be off and they're looking at taking a drop. And whilst they get the whole field, they're playing under the same conditions. For me, it's, it shouldn't be set up like that. I know there was some talk that normally they have the grandstand there anyway, um, but I'm not sure the grandstand takes up that entire width. And even if that's the case, without the grandstands, I don't see why they had to put an advertising board in. I think it would have made it much more exciting if they'd taken that away. And then if somebody did want to go for the green and two, there really was a bit of risk. But for me, they, they just allowed them to basically go for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a good win for her, $465,000. And that's an interesting point as well about the quality and the, the money involved on the LPGA and the PGA Tour where somebody's winning a major championship there, winning almost half a million dollars. And if you look at what's on offer this week at the the US Open, it's upwards of you know 2.1 million for the winner. So it's almost sort of four or five times the prize pot for um, for the winner on the, the PGA Tour compared to um, on the, the LPGA Tour. So I'm sure over time you'll probably start to see that, that gap maybe getting bridged a little bit. Um, still a hefty paycheck, of course, um, but yeah, quite quite a difference there. Right, so the main reason you may have come to this podcast is for a, a US Open preview. So the US Open is, I think, for for certainly for the American fans, considered to be the big event, the big Open um, champion. In fact, they just call it the Open, um, and they refer to our Open, which is the Open, um, as the British the British Open. Um, for me personally. The Masters is still by far my favourite um, major, but I think that's because it comes at the start of the year normally, and it's all that kind of build up because it's been so long since a major championship. Um, by the time you get around to to Augusta, it's really exciting, and the the golf season just really kind of properly starting. Um, obviously, this year's completely different, um, but yeah, the U.S. Opens for certainly for the Americans considered a. a one of the best, if not the best, um, majors. So this is the 120th edition, so it's gone for uh, quite a while, and it's taken place at Winged Foot, which is the West Course. There's two courses there, um, the West Course over in New York. Now, this was obviously originally scheduled for June the 18th, so we're playing it quite a bit later, and this is uh, this is obviously due to due to COVID. Um, I'll talk more about the kind of course setup shortly, um, but obviously that has presented some issues to uh, the, the green staff and the organisers given that the event's taking place slightly later in the year and with US Opens they always like to make the course as treacherous and difficult as possible so for these guys having to do that when the grass isn't quite growing as much and things like that it has been um, a little bit more of a challenge it's also different this year for the field so the players taking part um will be different obviously from previous years and the way that they got the players and the players made their way to the US Open um, has changed due to, to COVID so the qualification process is completely 
different this year. Um, so when I talk about the field, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But it is it isn't a short course by any means. So it's, it's par seventy. It's almost seven thousand five hundred yards. So I think it's seven four seven seven. And um, they're heading back for the sixth time to winged foot. So obviously a lot of uh, 120 US Opens have taken place. This is the sixth time at winged foot. And they've also held a PGA Championship there. So it's uh, it's definitely a, a course that's got a bit of major pedigree. It's been used several times before. And the last time um, the US Open was played there was 2006. So that was when um, Jeff Ogilvie, won the uh, the championship there there were quite a few players behind um leading into it but he managed to um to pick up the win there famously just in front of um Phil Mickelson who I'll talk more about later on and Colin Montgomery so another one of Colin Montgomery's sort of major misses um never been a big fan of Monty if I'm honest anyway so it doesn't really break my heart that he never managed to get a major um but yeah another Another one that got away, shall we say. So the competition this week, there's a 12.5 million um, prize pot. So fairly uh, fairly sizable junk. And if you think again, compared to the LPGA Tour major that just took place, which was a 3 million pound prize pot, um, 12.5 here, massive, massive difference. 144 players in the field and the winner will take home $2.16 million. So um, yeah, pretty Pretty good earnings for a weekend's work. So Gary Woodland is the defending champion. And as I mentioned earlier, he would have been defending in June. We're now here in, in September. And he won over at Pebble Beach. So the um, I was watching a, f- a couple of clips of his uh, his victory actually during the week. And I was remembering that, that little lob wedge on the 17th. So where he chipped from one side of the green over the little ridge um, to to the pin and uh, managed to save par. And I think that for me was the, the kind of crucial shot for him. And yeah, he was he was definitely deserving, I think, that week of uh, of the, the championship. I don't know personally if he's going to manage to defend it. I, I can't really say it if I'm honest, um, but never say never. So looking at the, uh, the the past champions at winged foot, so Bobby Jones, 1929, uh, Billy Casper, 1959. We've got uh, Hale Inwarn, 1974, Fuzzy Zeller, um, 1984. And then, as I mentioned, the most recent winner there was Jeff Ogilvie in 2006. So some pretty big names there have managed to, to win it winged foot. The, the thing that's quite important and quite interesting about the, uh, the course is that only two players in the US Opens there have actually managed to finish under par so two players in all of those US Opens um, so far so five of them have managed to finish under par and those two players were Greg Norman and Fuzzy Zeller so Zeller won on a playoff um, but they're the only two guys to finish under par so that kind of gives you a little bit of an indication as to just how difficult it's going to be for the players this week and for me personally that that's how it should be one of the things that makes the US Open quite a good competition from my point of view is that the the organisers always like to make it really, really difficult. Everybody knows that when you're taking part in the US Open, they're going to do two things. They're going to have the greens lightning quick and they're going to have thick rough. But I think on the tour in general nowadays, that's what you tend to see most weeks. So the courses can't necessarily be made longer, but the players are now hitting longer. So one of the main defence uh, mechanisms for course organisers and uh, the, you know, the the greenkeeping staff is to grow the rough up and make it really, really difficult for the players. 
So if you're not hitting fairways, you're not able to go for the green in two on the par fives and, and you're struggling even on the, um, the the par fours if you're not hitting the fairways. They're, they're forced to lay up and that's where it causes mistakes. And of course, when you've got the greens that are lightning quick um, and they've got undulations and whatnot, these guys are, are kind of really tested. So the likelihood is based on on the reading I've been doing and looking at past events and looking at videos shared by caddies um, on Instagram this week's probably going to be no different and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you don't have any players under par to be honest because yeah it looks absolutely hellish um, so okay a little bit more about the course then so as I said mentioned uh, earlier it's called winged foot it's a par 70 the exact yardage is for um, 7,477 yards and uh, the director of the golf at a uh, winged foot basically says that their goal is that by the end of September there's no difference between then and June so I mentioned that one of the challenges is a different time of year so what they're hoping to do is basically have the course in the same conditions for the players in September as it normally would be in June and I think that's caused them a lot of trouble because the you know as you know in your own course just now the grass isn't going to grow as uh, quickly and as thick so they've had to spend a lot more time preparing for this one but certainly when you watch the clips, I mean, I saw one the other day, I think somebody had put a, an Ar- Arnold Palmer uh, can. I didn't even know you got a juice or a beverage um, under under his name. But they dropped it in and it was basically gone in, in the rough. And you've seen the videos where they drop golf balls in the rough and they can't find them. Um, so it, it does look absolutely brutal. And it's great that they've managed to replicate the conditions of June um, somewhat in September. I think it's going to make it a, a really, really good challenge for... Um, for the players so it's basically it's it's designed to be an old classic style course so that that's the way it's always been set up it's one of these uh, courses where i mentioned that the rough is the kind of main defense and it has narrow fairways and thick rough one of the things that that makes the course slightly different from um, the last few us opens actually is that the fairways are very, very narrow. So you're looking at maybe 25 to 30 yards wide, whereas previously it's been anywhere between 40 and 60. So they could have been double the width in past US Open, certainly the last um, maybe four or five. So you're now looking at a really kind of narrow landing area for uh, for the players. And it, it tends to pinch as you get closer to the greens. So these big hitters like DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson, whilst they might be able to smash the ball miles, they're going to have to be accurate, and I think unless they're they're really accurate, they're going they're going to struggle because even if you're close to the green and hitting out of the thick rough, there's no guarantee that you're you're going to get the ball close. And as you all know, when you're hitting out the rough, trying to get the ball to stop can be a bit of a, a mission. Now, uh, Mike Davis, who's the USGA's chief executive, basically called Winged Foot a quintessential US Open course, and I mean that's that's exactly what it, it seems to be it seems to be set up perfectly for for what the usg um the usga want to do and that's the, their mission is always to make a major that gets people talking and gets the players having to really work hard and almost earn the major whereas sometimes you find you can have a little bit of luck and you can kind of have one or two bad rounds and still still be in with a chance but i think at this one it, it's going to be a case of if the players are not playing well they're going to they're going to be right down the down the leaderboard. So one of the other things, aside from the um, the rough, is that the greens on the course are extremely challenging, and there's quite a lot of dog legs. So 
I watched um, a really good video to watch to get an idea of just what the course is like is Eric Anders Lang's um, Break 90. So he basically played it from the same tees as the pros last week. And his aim with these uh, videos is to try and break 90. And um, I, won't, I won't give away any spoilers, but it was a little bit of a mission for him. Um, and you can see when he doesn't hit the fairway just how tough it's going to be for the players. Um, granted, they play off... Uh, far better handicaps than his. I think his is four or five. But even then, you can get an idea of just how difficult it's going to be. The interesting thing with the greens are that they're, they're, there's a lot of rectangular greens. So you probably wouldn't really notice it watching from you know TV in the standard view. But they had a lot of drones flying over in the footage. And uh, you start to get a really nice idea of how the holes are shaped. And you can see with all the shadows just how many undulations they are. So there's several greens have got two or three um, tiers on them. And there was a great video by um, Billy Foster, Matt Fitzpatrick's uh, caddy, who just the other day shared where he basically threw a ball up to the top of the green. Um, the ball basically just ran all the way back off, um, right the way off to the front. Um, so you can get an idea from, from these kind of clips on social media just how difficult it's going to be for um, for the players. So one of the other things uh, to consider that in 2006, it had a scoring average of 74.99. So um, the only hole which was played under par for the entire week was the uh, the fifth hole, which is a par five. So you're looking at a scoring average of almost 75, so five over par um, on average from all of the players. So I think you could be looking at another week like uh, the BMW Championship at Olympia Fields where hardly any players were, if any, were, were under par and it was a real kind of struggle for them. And that, as I said earlier, that's what's going to make this a really good and exciting competition because there's going to be plenty of opportunities for players to make bogeys or double bogeys or worse. And hopefully some of the guys who are out front so we can keep the, a kind of tight pack and have a, an exciting finish on the uh, on the Sunday. But the course doesn't really tend to have any lakes or large water hazards. So the occasional small creek, but the main defence, as I said, is the rough and the difficult greens. Um, and even around the greens are kind of compact greens with little bunkers popped around them so if the players aren't hitting the greens they're going to find the bunkers and you'll probably find a lot of the players would prefer to land in the bunkers than than land in the rough so I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of guys finding the bunker at the edge of the greens um, and and looking to to save par that way rather than trying to get out of the rough so you could be looking at a player who's got a pretty good uh, wedge game from the bunkers to to um to be performing well this week. Now, the course was designed by A.W. Tillinghast. So he designed it many moons ago, but he was known as Tilly the Terror. So essentially the courses that he designed were always really, really challenging. And one of the things he liked to do was he liked to emphasise finesse. So he wasn't interested in the players who could smash the ball around and, and were basically, you know, the big hitters he's looking for the guys who had the ability who had the finesse and the 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 short game skills to be able to negotiate the the course to hit the fairways and to hit the greens rather than just uh, just trying to bomb it down 
down the middle or, or cut corners. And obviously, when he designed the course, um, the game was slightly different. Um, we didn't have the the Brysons and the, the Dustin Johnson, certainly with the, the obviously the modern equipment. Um, but he has designed the courses so that they reward really good approach play. Jack Nicklaus has said that winged foot, basically, the greens there were the most difficult greens he's ever seen. Um, and obviously he's seen a lot of courses and designed a lot of courses so that gives you an indication of how difficult it is um, Tiger Woods has come out this week to say it's up there with the top three most difficult courses he's he's played Justin Thomas, one of the, the top players on tour um, said exactly the same so these guys have played it and they're, they're talking about how challenging it's going to be but it's going to make it exciting and even uh, going back to the Colin Montgomery from earlier from 2006 so he was a runner up then and he said that the greens were basically as quick downhill as at Augusta, but there was probably more slopes. So one of the things you always see at Augusta are the players who putt well, are the players who tend to do well. And these guys are playing on, on greens that could be just as difficult, if not more difficult. And then they're playing a longer course with, uh, with thicker roughs. So um, yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting. Now looking at the field this week... Um, Basically, I mentioned at the, the top of the podcast that there's a real difference this year with regards to the qualification. So that's kind of done two things. Obviously, it was because of COVID, they couldn't have the national and the regional qualifiers. So we still have amateurs playing this year, um, but it's slightly different. So in past years, they've had over 150 players. This year, there's 144. And normally, around about 50% of the places actually go to uh, to amateur players or, or qualifiers. This year, there's a lot more players um, playing and there's a lot more of the, the kind of regulars on the likes of the PGA Tour or the performing players on the European Tour. So to give you an idea of this sort of thing, that you can go online and find out how they, they made their way to the US Open. But essentially, players from the top 70 in the world rankings will be there. So if they're not exempt um, already through another way, then you've got the likes of Ian Poulter, um, Eddie Pepperell, who was, I think, about 61st or something like that. He's there this week. Um, Robert McIntyre from Scotland, who obviously we're going to be rooting for because we're Scottish. Um, he is taking part, and I think he's around about 67th in the world. So for these guys, it's probably been an absolute blessing in disguise that they've not been able to put these qualifiers on because it's given them an opportunity to compete in a major and to compete for a, a huge amount of uh, of money and also um, world ranking points. Other players that are there, um, so you've got basically the top 10 players and ties who weren't already exempt from the competitions of 3M Open all the way through to the Wyndham Championship. So some of the players were qualifying that way. Um, the top three players in the PGA Championship qualified. Um, the top five from the FedEx Cup final point standing. So some of the guys you saw in the FedEx playoff made it through to it as well. And also, which was quite good, the, the UK swing of the European Tour, which happened recently, the top 10 um, point scorers, so combined point scorers, um, so you've seen players like Connor Symes managed to get a spot, which I'm sure for him will be a, an incredible experience. And he's been playing really, really well recently in the European Tour, so it's nice to see people rewarded. And yeah, there's various other ways that the guys have qualified. Um, the US Open's website gives you more of a kind of breakdown. Um, but it's, it's probably makes it more of a competition in my mind because instead of having guys who are qualifying at these smaller events, you're now bringing in the top 70 world-ranked players. So you're bringing the kind of the best of the best to the event and it's a slightly smaller field. And for me, that makes it much, much more competitive. So, um, yeah, pretty good 
Good field. Obviously, all the kind of the big names are in there, uh, apart from um, Kepka. The one that I felt really sorry for was Scotty Scheffler. So really, really good, strong performances towards the end of last season, which was only last month. Um, and unfortunately, he's managed to get COVID, so he isn't able to take part. And aside from that being probably devastating for him, um, it, it kind of serves as a really good reminder that obviously it hasn't gone away. So any of the players could turn up this weekend and or this week and find that they have to um, withdraw because of it. So they've obviously got to be really kind of careful week in, week out when they're moving between tournaments. But yeah, you can't help but feel a little bit gutted for someone who's worked so hard, managed to qualify through great performances and uh, and won't even get to, to tee it up. Um, so of the big names... What sort of players stand out? So the first one I'm going to go through is, uh, is Phil Mickelson. So he only qualified because he was in 61st place in the world rankings. Okay, so he wouldn't have qualified um, without that kind of change to the, the qualification process. And the interesting thing is he had made it clear that even if he hadn't qualified, he wouldn't have been accepted an invitation. So if there was a sponsored invite or the USGA um, wanted to invite him, he said he would have declined it. So he wouldn't have taken one. He wanted to be there, you know, on merit or um, or through the rankings. So his 61st in the world is enough to get him there. Um, he's, he's played an amazing 28 US Opens. So 28, and this is the one that he needs to, to collect the, the slam, if you like, or not the, the sort of competitions in one year, but to win all four majors. So he's had six second place finishes. And I, I can't help but feel that it's not a surprise that he hasn't won this one because he, for me, he's just not, he's not accurate enough for a US Open. And uh, this might come back to bite me. He may end up winning this one, but I don't think so. Um, but... As much as I'd quite like to see him win, I think it'd be great for him. And uh, since he's been on social media in the last sort of year or so, I find him really quite interesting. I think he's a seems like a great character, um, and I've definitely warmed him. But I can't, I just can't see him uh, managing this. I think his opportunity in two thousand and six, where he double bogeyed the last hole, all he needed was a par. Um, even a bogey would have forced a playoff. Um, but to make a double bogey there alongside Montgomery and I think Jim Furyk managed to to mess it up as well. Um, for me, that was probably his his best opportunity. So he's probably running out of competitions, to be honest. And uh, yeah, still can't see him winning this week, but you never know. Um, so on to my tips. Which players do I think are going to um, perform well this week? Now, I tend to always pick players with slightly higher odds, and that's purely because there's not much value um, in picking the the kind of lead guys at six to one or seven to one, but I've gone for a couple of lower odds players this week and one slightly higher. Um, so the three players I'm I'm looking out for. First one is uh, Colin Marikawa. So obviously recently won the the PGA Championship and he won it in style. I think it was a phenomenal performance, certainly on the final day, and uh, and definitely a worthy winner. Now he's sixteen to one this week. But one of the things that stands out about him is week in, week out, he finds the greens. He somehow, somehow, but he is always on the putting surface. Um, he's one of the best on tour for it. And I think this week, given the, the, the greens and the rough, it's going to be really important for these guys to find the fairways and to find the greens. And his stats certainly suggest that he is um, is good value at, at 16 to 1. So he's fifth in the world. 
He won twice in 2020 and he has seven top tens. Okay, so fairly good season. Um, made over $5.2 million and um, yeah, pretty good going. So one of the things to think about is last year at the US Open, he was tied 35th. So not really a great finish, but then relatively new to the game. So probably finding his feet a little bit. But the encouraging stats um, to go through. So he was second on tour last season. So for the entire season, second for a strokes gained approach to the green. He was fifth for strokes gained tee to green. He was 14th for strokes gained in total on the field. And he was 19th for strokes gained off the tee. Okay, so this is on the whole of the PGA Tour. That That's pretty good scoring. His scoring average was 15th as well. So he's 15th for scoring average. Um, the only area I think in his game that probably gives me a bit of concern is his putting. So he was 128th for putting. And as I've mentioned, because the greens have so many tiers and they're lightning quick, it is going to require somebody who is good at putting. However... If you're finding the greens, then you're going to have the chance to putt and you're going to be able to make some putts. If you're not finding the greens, like most players will be, then you've got to try and get up and down on these difficult greens. So that's where I think he could be good value because if he's hitting a lot of greens, even if he's not necessarily the best putter, if he's someone who's hitting the greens, he's going to get opportunities. And on this type of course, you may not need to be many under par. You may not even finish under par to manage to put in um, a, a good enough score to win. A couple of other um, stats, he's 44 for greens and regulation, so 69%. And that's where I mentioned that he's he's obviously pretty comfortable at hitting the greens. And uh, he's 31st on 65% for fairways and regulation. So everybody knows he's one of the best on tour. He's one of the certainly the best young players. He's confident. He's already won a major um, he's made so many cuts and he often gets compared to uh, to Tiger Woods which I think is probably a bit early for that to be honest but I would uh, I would think there's a really good chance for him and it's 16 to 1 he's kind of like third or fourth favourite but I, I definitely think there's a bit of value in him okay now my second uh, pick is Justin Thomas so he's slightly shorter odds at 14 to 1 uh, ranked number 3 in the world only managed one win last season so not quite as uh, prolific as DJ or, or even uh, Morikawa. But he did manage 10 top 10 finishes. So it shows that he's consistently there or thereabouts. Came second in the FedEx Cup. So he took home, you know, $4.5 million alongside uh, Shoffley. Although Shoffley probably should have made his, uh, his birdie opportunity on 18 to take home second solo. Um, but even then, a joint second in the FedEx Cup is pretty good going. 13 uh, PGA Tour titles, so he is a proven winner. He won the 2017 uh, PGA Championship, so he's won a major. And his his best finish at a US Open is tied ninth in 2017. So that year when he won the PGA Championship, he had finished tied ninth in the US Open. So he's got a little bit of experience, and it's a fairly good, uh, good finish there. And he's just been voted the, the PGA Player of the Year as well. So he'll be confident. He'll be looking to get off to a good start. And I think the thing with uh, with Justin Thomas is he does tend to play well around this, this time. So I wouldn't be too surprised to see him um, again up there on the leaderboard. He's one of these players for me that, although recently his form hasn't been all that impressive, I don't think it really matters with him. I think he, he just turns up and sometimes he absolutely delivers. And when he's on fire... 
he is uh, he is really really hard to beat. So I don't really worry about form with Justin Thomas. I think he's definitely got the ability. Um, he's got the game. And and looking at the stats, I mean, strokes gained approach to the green first on tour around the green eighteenth. So. One of the things that you, you probably don't really kind of realise with Justin Thomas, because he's one of the big hitters or big-ish hitter, um, but his he's touch around the green is absolutely fantastic. A lot of the times when you're watching the golf, you'll, you'll get some some shots along the edge of the green and he, he seems to really have the kind of knack of working the ball out of the, the thick rough or the different types of shots required. So for a course like this where they might be missing greens due to playing out of the rough, He's somebody who I think will be able to get the ball close and I think he'll scramble well. Um, strokes gained tee to green though, he's first on tour. Strokes gained total, second on tour. And uh, strokes gained off the tee, 22nd. So he's basically in the top, say, 25 for everything. But for three of those items, he's first, first and second on tour. Um, and if you think of just how many great players are out there just now, it shows how good he was last season. Surprised to see him not win more, if I'm honest. Only one win, but 10 top 10s. Um, and a great finish in the FedEx suggests that he's definitely got um, got something to, to offer this week. His concern for me is probably around, again, the putting, like Morikawa. So two players there that I've picked who are very good tee to green, but maybe not so great putting. He's 112th, so marginally better than Morikawa. Um, that's probably, for me, the only... Concern because again, if you look at uh, his um, scoring average, he's second, and his birdie average is third. So very, very good on all of those stats. Putting a little bit ropey, and the only other one is his driving accuracy, hundred forty fourth. Um, so not one of the most accurate drivers. But then I think if you look at the other the other stats there, that doesn't really matter because if he's sitting hundred forty fourth for driving accuracy, but his tee to green is uh, is first. If it's uh, Strokes gain off the tee is 22nd. So although he's not necessarily the most accurate, he's still managing to find the putting surface and still managing to find birdies and uh, and pars. So he's, he's definitely one of my kind of favourite players. I'd like to see him win this week. And I think at 14 to 1, he's he's pretty good value. Now, my final pick is uh, a little bit of a higher odds one. So I've not gone too high here, um, but I've gone for Tommy Fleetwood. So he's 25 to 1. Now, He's not really done much on the PGA Tour, if I'm honest. He's won five times on the European Tour. He's 16th in the world. But I think the thing for Tommy Fleetwood is he is very, very good in major championships. So second at the US Open in 2018. He was fourth in 2017. Um, he came second at the Open. He, um, behind Shane Lowry, he has made four out of four cuts at the US Open. But the great thing for him is, although his form has been a little bit iffy since uh, since the restart, a tie third last week at the Portugal Masters, he was only three off the lead on minus 13. So although his form is a little bit ropey, um, I think he, he is definitely one of the players to watch in major championships. He's obviously used to playing tough courses in tough conditions. Um, and he, he seems to play them really, really well. So I think it's going to be quite interesting. The thing about Tommy Fleetwood is he's, he's really quite consistent. He's decent off the tee and he's really good at scrambling. So those are two areas of the game where I think he he seems to do well and he seems to bring his best, as I said, at major. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we see a little bit more of, of good performance off the tee and, and, and nice play around the greens. Um, he's 24 for strokes gained off the tee, 26th for putting, so much, much better than Morikawa and Thomas. 
um, 31st for scoring average. And he's not a short hitter either. So he's 310 yards um, for his, his average, which is actually not too bad on tour. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a short course by any means. It requires players to keep it on the fairway. And... Um, and obviously, they've got to be able to scramble and putt well. So it's going to test them in every sort of element of their game. But I definitely think at 25-1, to 1, he's worth a little each-way bet purely because his record at US Opens and, uh, and at Majors in general is really, really good. Now, that concludes my uh, my preview of the, the US Open. So the coverage starts on Sky on Thursday, which is probably going to be tomorrow by the time you listen to this, um, or maybe even today. Um, at 12.30 so the great thing about this is it's just going to be on all day long so obviously it's like a time difference with uh, with New York but I think it's going to be a really really good event looking forward to seeing the course and as I said if you can catch the um, the Eric Anders Lang Break 90 Challenge video I've only actually seen the first part hopefully by now they've released the second part um, but you'll get a great view of the course on all the different holes and you'll be able to see just how much of a challenge it's likely to be for the players now, I just wanted to uh, finish up with a little kind of uh, run through of what I've been working on for my game um, over the last week. So I've not managed to get out on the course uh, for any competitions. I headed out for um, a little kind of bounce game the other night. And because the conditions were really quite windy, I decided rather than losing any of my decent Pro V1s, um, I would take some old balls. So I, t- <laughs> I took a Top Flight XL 2000. And the great thing about a Top Flight is... Nobody else wants them, okay? So uh, if you lose it, it's the kind of ball you just end up walking past and leaving if you if you happen to find one. So I knew that if I lost it, I would probably find it again at some point. But it was almost like a little trip down memory lane for me. So when I used to go to uh, the local park with my friends and hit golf balls, the Top Flight XL was like the ball that everybody wanted. So it was, a uh, you know, if you found one of those, you were chuffed to bits. Whereas now, as I said, if you find one, you just leave it. Um, but I was really quite impressed. It's a great ball for playing on a windy day because it's a harder ball, penetrating flight. Um, and if you've got a little bit of moisture on the greens, you don't need that that reaction. Um, so played fairly well. I think I finished um, finished eight or nine over, something around about, around about that, I think. And I managed to keep the ball for a whole 10 holes uh, and then eventually lost it and moved on to something else. So I, I might find it again when I'm on the, on the 11th or next time. Um, but I also have been going down to the practice range. So I've been going down on my lunch break just for an hour and hitting some balls, working on my short game. And something I decided to do yesterday was to go for a lesson. So I headed along to um, Wells Green Driving Range and I got a lesson for 30 minutes from um, one of the PGA pros there, Scott. Now, although I've been doing online lessons with, uh, with Matt, one of the things I wanted to do was actually go to a driving range and go to a pro so that I could almost be in the same environment in the same room with them and get some footage on the likes of TrackMan and look at the numbers. But more importantly, just to have somebody there to be able to tell me more about my swing and adjusting the club. Um, it's great doing it through videos and online, but it's not always quite the same as, as going to your local pro. So... I went in with the the old, I just wanted to hit a straighter ball and a a more solid contact because my flight tends to be quite high and weak and I definitely, definitely don't hit my irons as well as I should. Um, First thing Scott did is got me to hit a few balls. He then put the footage up on the um, screen after recording it 
and he was immediately able to tell me the the two things that would make a huge difference to my swing. So what I was basically doing in my swing was I had a little bit too much weight on the front and I was early extending. So he got me to go on one of the force plate mats and I was able to hit a few balls and then we could actually look at the, almost like the heat map or the pressure map of my uh, feet. So I could clearly see that I was putting more pressure on the front uh, of my right foot and uh, more pressure on the back on my heel of my left foot. And what he basically told me is, you want to be the other way around. You want to have a little bit more pressure on the toes of your left foot and lean back a little bit and more weight on the heel of the right foot. So um, we made those changes. I got to put these little rubber sort of upturned saucers um, underneath my uh, left toe and my right heel. And then he basically got me to hit some balls. And what a difference it made. What a difference. Um, straight off the bat, I was hitting my six irons completely straight. I've never seen them go so straight. And what I said to him is, I'm looking to get the feeling of a decent contact because I so rarely get that, that it's actually like when I hit a good ball, it's a surprise. Whereas it should be, you do that every time and then you feel when you don't hit a good one. Whereas for me, it's the, it's the opposite way around. Um, so what we, we did is we worked on that, hit some more balls and he basically said, we're going to leave it there go out and practice it and uh, and see how you get on. So I went down today on my lunch break and I've never hit the ball so well in my life. Never. Um, six irons and five irons were straight into the wind, straight down the middle. And even my three woods, I was managing to clear the, the fence at the end of our range. So I was carrying 220 yards uh, with my, my three wood, which I pff, never, never, not until wind anyway. So really, really kind of solid strikes. I've still got a little bit of the the over the top movement, but we went from um, something like fifteen degrees out down to down to two, so it's not far off. And uh, I've agreed with Scott to can then work on this later on. Um, but it was really really good. It's for me. It's not something I do very often. Going to to get a lesson, but getting that little bit of uh, information and feedback is is really really useful. Um, and I'm looking forward to continuing to work on that down at the range. Um, during my lunch breaks and I'll still do a little bit of chipping and putting just to keep that in check but um, yeah hopefully if I can stick with this then when we start next season or next year um, after a good solid winter's practice then uh, then I'll be in better shape than I was this year and I'm hoping to finally get the handicap coming down. Um, Now future podcasts so I have arranged um, to catch up with a couple of different people and I'm thinking I'm going to do more of a, an interview style with um, hopefully ShotScope, some members of the ShotScope um, team and I'm also going to get George who is a PGA professional and runs the short gains on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to catch up with him so we'll either do like a recorded version um, with the video or maybe just audio only but I'm looking to line those up in the next couple of weeks so I'm hoping that the next two podcasts rather than me just talking for an hour um, are going to have some people from the golf industry so a PGA pro telling us all about um, the great work he does with with his clients and with uh, certainly the, the kids at the academy um, George is a top guy I'm looking forward to to hearing um, hearing from him and also with ShotScope maybe have a, a couple of different reps from ShotScope to tell us more about the company more about the vision more about where they came from and where they're going to um, and also maybe the more technical aspects of it so how th- what the tech is like in the watches 
um, and I'd be really intrigued to know where they're, they're kind of planning to go next. So I'll hopefully record those in the coming weeks and uh, I'll share them all in future episodes. But for now, all I can say is uh, thanks very much for listening. Do check out uh, my page on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to, to YouTube where I'll put this podcast and, uh, and other future videos. And the main thing is this week, enjoy the US Open. I think it's going to be a real, real treat. If you lose any money on those uh, tips, then uh, don't blame me. But I think those players, Morikawa, I think Justin Thomas, definitely worth uh, a little punt. And Tommy Fleetwood, 25-1. to 1. What's not to love about that? But until then, take care, have a great week and see you soon. Yeah.